welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Ben Pitney departs from the Great Mystery Series and is teaching a message titled Margin and Corners. Grab your Bible and join us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. take your Bible out and turn to 2 Corinthians. Now, today, I've made a commitment over um, this last year to talk about things, uh, to talk about giving money, wealth, resources, and all those things more often. I got to tell you that um, there's only three things that really stress me out. One is when something's going on with my children and they're hurting in some way, it really stresses me out, especially if I don't feel like I can fix it. <laughs> And um, if my wife, if Linda is hurting or stressed out, it wrecks me. Um, and um, I don't easily get overwhelmed, but when you talk about a subject like this, it totally stresses me out. There is no doubt. I, I, I wish it wasn't like that. I think it's true of most pastors. We don't like to address this. The reason why we don't like to address it um, we know we should, and we do most of the time, you know, and I, I'm ready, okay, and I'm really not afraid. I think it stresses me out because I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want you to misunderstood. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I don't want you to, um, uh, I, 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 there's so many things I, I, I really care about you, okay? So, um, you know, the last time we talked about I, I brought Gary up here and we talked about what we just did. Um, there was somebody here for the first time and um, they misunderstood what we were talking about. And they took it totally wrong and they got offended and then they posted something on one of those reviews like Google and Facebook and things like that. And they really worked us over the cold and they criticized me, which, okay, I can take it. But it's on there now, and you can Google it yourself and read it. And they just, and they accused our church or me, you know, I took it real personal, actually, of kind of biblically, we were out to lunch, you know, just terrible. And there was no, the Spirit of God wasn't here. And I was asking you guys and everybody else to give to this found, you know, and not the Lord. And oh my gosh, they, I'm just going, what? You know, and then that's on there, you know, and then when you kind of go and you search, people do it all the time, right? I've posted reviews about restaurant or something, you know. I, I don't mind doing it once in a while, you know, in the right way when it's good or whatever. But um, I don't know. It's that kind of stuff that that'll make you wince when you discuss something like this. That'll it'll make you think twice, you know, when you hear somebody say something, uh, they misunderstand your heart and your attitude, right? I don't want that to happen, so I really want you to hear, but I also know that we should be teaching through this subject often because you cannot read through the scriptures and uh, without recognizing that Jesus, the apostles, the New Testament, the Bible in general, God's heart, it's revealed through this subject more than any other subject. And the, uh, there, there is so much. I mean, Jesus was always talking about this, actually. And so you can't get away from it. Otherwise, you're just ignoring 
a, a huge amount of scripture and information about God and what he wants us to do and who he wants us to be. So, but it becomes a touchy subject, becomes delicate, right? I was just talking to somebody the other day and they're like, oh, I hate when we talk about this. We're always talking about it. And, and I, you know, I don't know. What are you going to do with that? I just want to go, well, sorry. I, it, it, I, I didn't even know what to do, but it, it will make you question yourself actually uh, when you're wrenching through this. So in my study recently, uh, I got to tell you that I am um, grinding over the possibilities of teaching through this. I, I don't know, it stresses me out a little bit. <laughs> so I was searching for Paul's heart quite a bit through our study that we've been going through, through Colossians, we call it the great mystery. And Paul writes this really beautiful letter to this church in Colossae, right? And um, I'm searching for his heart. Well, if, if you go to his other letters, which he has lots of letters to specific churches in specific places about specific things, you find his heart regarding this subject actually quite a bit. And 2 Corinthians 12, these two verses really hit it on the head for me personally. I'll just let you into that really quickly. When you read these verses, starting in verse 14, here's what it says. He says, look, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. I'm, he's ready to visit the people of Corinth, the church in Corinth. And he says, I will not be a burden to you because I do not want your possessions, but you. Now, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your lives. And if, if you could capture my heart, th that, that's my heart too. I think that's God's heart and that's Paul's heart. And so in my own personal time of the Lord and kind of wrenching through, and I, I wrench through teaching every week a lot because I think it's part of my role, my, you know, my job, obviously, to teach and inspire and to train and equip and challenge whether it's easy to do or not. It's part of it. So in my grinding, right, this what my heart is, and I think the heart of God and the heart of our church is to chase after the heart, not your possessions. That's my first point, chasing after the heart. So grinding over the possibilities of teaching through this, um, I, I, I wanted to address the subject of tithing. I get questions about tithing all the time. And it's a subject I think people are, the church is actually pretty, again, I don't want to be misunderstood, but pretty ignorant with. We don't understand this thing called tithing very well. We just don't. Because you've got to read the whole counsel of God and study it to, to get your arms around it. So the text that presented itself to me on the verse just before the words, now I will most gladly spend and be spent for, spent for your lives, this is just my heart. In verse 14, Paul says to the church at Corinth, look, listen, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. But he's, it, you know what he's concerned about? He says, I don't want to be a burden to you. I don't want you to be burdened either because I don't want your possessions. So that's not it. I want you. I want you. I want you. It's about your heart. So I don't want your possessions, but you, that's a magnificent sentence. 
It's such a great sentence. So that's what's on my heart. It's always been on my heart. It's at the beginning of me becoming a pastor. It's at the heart and soul, the middle, and, and it will be at the conclusion. I don't want your possessions, your wealth, your money. God doesn't want your wealth and money. He doesn't need it, by the way. He doesn't need anything we have. I want to build a church in Vail that loves to use God's money to spread justice and mercy and spiritual hope, not this kind of hope. Not this kind of hope. Hope that is true and real. Truth, not, not this. This is, I hope it's going to happen. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. I want to be about the truth. So I want to go to the Old Testament for a few minutes. And let me summarize it because the Old Testament is huge. <laughs> okay. The Old Testament talks about tithing a lot. Tithing goes back to the very beginning of Israel's history, the children of Israel. And God chose a nation. We call them Israel or the children of Israel. God's chosen people, right? All those things. He chose a people for himself to showcase the essence of who he is. He chose a people to represent who he was to all the other nations. So he chose this nation, this little nation, to bring the authority of heaven to earth, to the people of earth. Okay? That's why he chose them. That's why he set them apart. That's why he set them aside to do all those things. Now, they were great at it sometimes, and most of the time, just like us, quite honestly, miserably poor at doing that. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? But a part of that whole thing is you get to see God's love, His tenacity, His patience, His forbearance through the whole journey. So this story that you see from the very beginning, is it's actually all about God being fleshed out through these people that He chose. So at the very beginning of Israel's history, before the law was given and seems to have been this idea of tithing, an expression of gratitude to the Lord, who in particular fights for his people and gives them all that they have. That's where you capture this concept, so to speak, or this instruction about tithing first. Then as a part of the Mosaic law, you know, that's when Moses shows up and uh, God uses him to, for the, uh, to help get these people out of slavery. The law then emerges, the Mosaic law. That's when tithing was made a part of Israel's formal worship, actually. Giving a tenth. So in its various forms and purposes, it was prescribed or described or instructed. Here's how you're supposed to do it, in other words. And then it was used to also support religious orders, and it was used for religious feasting in celebration of God's goodness. Tithing was a part of this celebration of how good God is. Bringing all of a, a portion of our, uh, what God has given us and using it and just celebrating actually who God is. A tenth, a tithe, right? And then it taught the people in particular, God's purpose in it was to teach people to fear the Lord, but not to fear fear trusting him but he utilized the tithe in this law and this instruction to trust him to meet their needs so it was instilled by god to create trust now enter the new testament okay and jesus now we have jesus and we have grace 
We have something now, because we live in the New Testament. We have something that the Old Testament did not have, Jesus, okay? So as you come into this, the picture really, really changes significantly. Jesus mentions tithing twice, but before I get to that, you know, when, when you come to the New Testament, actually, and being a Christ follower and looking at this issue, it's actually, uh, as, as, as I guess the New Testament, so to speak, paints the picture for us, it's way more radical than you might think. I, radical is a word that I don't want to use flippantly because being a Christ follower, actually, in its true definition of the way it's fleshed out, being a Christ follower is radical. It's a radical faith, trust, belief. Christianity is radical. It, it, it really rails against our natural self and our culture. I had lunch with, uh, just recently, uh, it took me a while to set it up, with John Carruth. John Carruth is going to be, or is now, the district superintendent for the Vail School District. And so Calvin Baker was the district superintendent for an awful long time. And you know Calvin Baker. He's an awesome guy, right? Really visionary, godly man. He's a Christ follower. He's the real deal, real deal. Not just like, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, I think he really lives it and believes it. And that is reflected actually in the Vail School District. That's the thing that sets this district apart across the nation. Vail School District is the number one school district in Arizona. The only other school district, by the way, that rivals it is the Benson School District. <laughs> How about that? Benson School District is a high-performing school district. And so anywhere in the nation, I don't care where, actually anywhere else in Tucson, just try to be a church that rents a school <laughs> and see how difficult it is. So we know we have a history and a journey of, of the school district being different because I believe uh, Calvin's beliefs and the beliefs of our community were installed in our educational thinking around here. Well, it's there's no doubt we're getting bigger and bigger around here, right? And so when uh, Calvin Baker retired, and he retired for some health reasons and other things, John Carruth and took it over, right? This is his guy. This is his Timothy, so to speak, right? He's a really great guy. I love John Cruz. So when I met with him, I said, hey, I want to encourage you. And we were talking about, you know, I said, I bet you get this all the time. And like, you got some big shoes to fill. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I said, you know what I think is, uh, I don't think you should fill his shoes at all, actually. I mean, I would, you know, definitely, I don't want you to blow anything up around here. But, but you know, the, the, we're completely different place than we were it's a new era you need to be who you are let's cling to some of the things that are good but you, you know uh we got to keep moving i mean it's it's a it's a different place you can't stay the same it would be ridiculous we can't hold on to everything we got to continue to grow and change that's how fast our culture is changing so we talked about like he's like yeah how does the church keep up with it and i said oh we don't do it very good we're trying really hard, but I said, I think it's going to be harder and harder for us to continue to be the church effectively in the culture that we live in. So we're going to be defined by all kinds of things. So we better know our Bible and the difference between this kind of faith and truth, right? I said, we're doing our best, and you just got to keep teaching it, whether people like it or not. 
you got to teach the truth. And you got to cling to then in the school district, I'm certain, you know, certain kind of educational principles too, but the things that we really value. So we talked about that a lot. And he said, hey, you know, I think we were talking about Micah Mountain High School, which is being built down the road. It's going to be it's a big, big, huge high school. And he said, you know what I think? I think that's going to be the last large high school built in Tucson. It'll be the last one. And I was thinking, well, like, really? He said, oh, yeah. He says, it's not like we're having more kids. We're having less kids. And we're just going to refurbish and refashion what's there to be better and better. But we're not. He said, that's just what I think. You know, eventually Vail will probably be incorporated if people vote correctly, I hope, um, in the future when we get our chance to become our commu a community that's Vail, right? But um, we'll be incorporated and then it'll all be Vail and stuff like that. That's probably the way it will go, whether you like it or not, because it's just getting bigger and bigger. You know, and I said, why do you think that? He's, you know, he said, because, you know, you know, we're growing like this, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're growing more high schoolers. They keep graduating and things. And he said, I just think that our culture is going to change high school, school. It's all going to look different. I mean, you already know it, right? That there are probably more people that go to the University of Arizona that never go actually to the university, right? Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. That's the way you go to school now a lot more. And I think it's going to get like that. Why wouldn't high school get like that? So anyway, talking about that, how rapidly everything changes and culture and, and, and it's so hard to keep up in the midst of all of it. Well, in the New Testament, there's a culture here too. And there's a culture of Christianity and understanding things and knowing things that we've got to grow through and understand as well. And so the New Testament understanding of tithing is something that we, we haven't kept up with probably as much as we should. In the, and, and, and this is what I want you to see is that Jesus, Jesus mentions tithing only twice. Of all of that he teaches about giving and wealth and all this, he only talks about tithing twice. Okay? And, and I really want you to see it because both times when he talks about it, it's in reference to its legalistic abuse. It's legalistic abuse. He says in Matthew 23, 3, look what he says. He says, woe to you experts in the law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. <laughs> you give a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, you know, those little spices from your spice garden. <laughs> Yet you neglect what is more important in the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have done these things without neglecting the others. And then he says, blind guides, or he basically says, you're blind, you strain out a gnat, yet swallow a camel. Jesus is actually sarcastic in there. I know, it's Jesus. He's sarcastic, and he is harsh, and he is poking the bear. And that's the context in which he talks about tithing. That's shocking. Look at the next, the next place in Luke 18. Listen, listen to this. Jesus also told the parable to some who are confident that they were righteous and looked down on everybody else. So here it comes. You ready for this? You want to see some sarcasm? Here we go. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, extortionists, unrighteous people, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth, that's a tithe, of everything I get. 
the tax collector, here's the bad guy he's talking about, however, stood far off and would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, sinner that I am. I tell you that this man went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. For everybody who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So check this out. Obviously, the two times that Jesus talks about tithing, he did not regard tithing as a spiritual cure for anything. He didn't, uh, it, it wasn't a solution to anything for him. He didn't reject tithing. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He affirmed it, actually, for Israel, but he is much more intent on the weightier things or the weightier matters of the law, like faith. You can tithe everything, in other words, and not trust God. So Jesus wasn't seeking what was theirs. You see? All their stuff and possessions. He was seeking them. He was seeking them. The love of their soul, not what they had. That's not what he wanted. Church gets misunderstood like that. Sometimes when we talk about this, people begin to think that that's what we're after, and that's not it. It's not Jesus' heart. It's not the heart of the church. And at least it, sh it shouldn't be the heart of pastors and, and leaders. So let's talk about Paul for just a minute, because Paul, here's where I started in this guy in his heart. He never once, actually, you study all of Paul's letters, he never one time talks about tithing. Did you know that? I didn't actually for sure know that until I just really had to work at it. He never talks about it. No tithing, never refers to it. Here's a guy who writes 60% of the New Testament, never raises, never says it one time, tithing. But his instruction in, in, in his letters seemed to be like this. Now, hang on, I'm gonna put them up here. I don't do this very often, but I'm doing it today so you can keep up. You ready? Here comes the first one out of 1 Corinthians. Here's his instructions. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside some income and save it to the extent that God has blessed you. That's part of his instructions. Let's keep going. 2 Corinthians 8, 3. For I testify, they gave according to their means and beyond their means. They did so voluntarily. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And here's one last one in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow in every good work. So the only other place in the New Testament where tithing is mentioned is in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 4 through 12, where the reference is back to Genesis 14, all right? And the point is simply to show that Christ is like Melchizedek. That's the, the only point of it. So with regard to positive, explicit teaching on tithing, here's what my study brings. The New Testament is almost totally silent. Isn't that crazy? The New Testament is silent when it comes to tithing. So that makes me have some questions. I think you can come to this, okay, and try to plow through this succinctly the true question that we have to ask let's get to that because i have a growing conviction why this is the case why the new testament is virtually silent i think god took the focus on giving a tithe in the early church because he wants his people to ask themselves a new question i really really do 
The question that Jesus drives us to ask again and again, this is Jesus, is not how much should I give, but how much should I keep, actually? One of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Great Commission. You know, that summary that Jesus gives to his guys just before he ascends. He says, now let me summarize the mission I got for you guys. Here it is. Are you ready? I want you to go into all the nations, you know, and on and on, right? This great commission, baptizing, you know, teaching, equipping, training, teaching everybody about me. Got this mission, right, about the kingdom and the king, and I'm going to utilize you guys. So this great commission. So by and large, the Old Testament people of God were not a missionary-minded people. That's not the way they were. Old Testament people and, and God's chosen people, Israel, weren't missionary-minded. But the New Testament church, the church now is, is the New Testament version of Israel. The church is fundamentally a missionary people, though, now. We're on a mission. We have a mission. And the spiritual hope and the physical and emotional nourishment that Jesus brought to earth is to be extended by his church to the whole world. So the task that he gives us, it's so immense, it's so, uh, it requires such extraordinary investment of commitment and dollars and money that the thought of settling the issue with, uh, of, of what we give by a fixed percentage, like a tithe or a tenth, is simply actually out of the question. It's, it's just not there. In a world where thousands of people die every day of starvation, can you believe that? They starve to death in our world still. Thousands of people every single day and many more that are dying in unbelief. See, the question is not what percentage must I give? We, we get this all mixed up. But how much... Should I keep and spend on myself? Actually, that's the radical New Testament message. See, it's a biblical truth beyond all dispute, actually, when you read the scriptures and study the scriptures and draw the truth out of the text, that all of your money, it's, it's undisputed, all of our money, if you are a Christ follower, it all belongs to the Lord. All that we have is His, and He is trusting us with it. We are stewards, not owners. It's undisputed you cannot dispute it when you recognize and study the scriptures and the teachings of jesus we are stewards not owners psalm 24 1 and it's been given or loaned to us right to use in ways that maximize the glorification of god's mercy in the world that's right out of matthew 25 so it's irrational, actually, to think that giving 10% of that money to the church settles the issue of good stewardship. It's totally irrational. In a world of such immense need and in a country of immense luxury, by the way, that we live in, and under the commission of such a powerful God, our Lord, the issue of stewardship is not, should I tithe, but how much of God's trust fund that he's trusted me with to be a steward of, should I use to surround myself with whatever I want? That's actually it. Now, I'm not in any way suggesting that I, I got it together completely. I, you know, I get that, but I'm not off on this. I had every intention today, I, believe me, I had every intention as I began to kind of lay out this message 
weeks ago to argue that even though the New Testament is almost silent on tithing, everyone who knows Jesus should do no less than the Old Testament saints who did not know Jesus. I was going to encourage everyone to at least tithe and give you reasons why you can afford always to tithe. I still believe that that's true. But that's not the... <laughs> that is not what I believe God just crushed me with. It's like being struck by lightning. In God's word in the New Testament, when I started laying this out, the word of God is always way more radical than percentage. It's not even close. Watch, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buzz through this, just give you a glimpse of how radical the word of God is regarding what he, wh who God wants us to be and what he wants us to do. It's, it's, it's crazy. To commend tithing as an ideal is simply, it, it just does not capture the New Testament view of being a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus, a Christ follower. Here we go, Luke 3, 11. The person who has two tunics, that's two coats, <laughs> must share with the person who has none, and the person who has food must do likewise. You know what that is? That is 50%, not 10%. Zacchaeus stands in the, right there amongst Jesus and everybody. And look at what he says. Zacchaeus stops and he says to the Lord, he says to Jesus, Look, Lord, half of my possessions I now give to the poor. Luke 19, 8. What's that? 50%. Jesus said to the rich young man, or maybe the rich young ruler in some of your versions, right? He says, If you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give your money, or give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me, Matthew 19, 21. What is that? 100%. That's right. Bring it. I love that. In the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his possessions. Luke 14, 33. Again, what is that? Exactly. A man said to him, I will follow you everywhere you go. Jesus said, well, foxes have dens and the birds... You know, the sky in the sky, they have nests, but the son of man, that's me, has no place to lay his head. You ready for that? Luke 9, 57. All who have believed were together and held everything in common. This is right out of Acts, right? And they began selling their possessions and their and, and um, property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone needed. Acts 2, 44. That's the birth of the church right there. How about the next one? Acts 4, 34. For there was no one... Needy among them because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds from the sales, placing them at the apostles' feet. How about these Corinthian people that Paul's engaging with? 2 Corinthians 8, 2, and 3. During a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. For I testify, he says, they gave according to their means and beyond their means they did so voluntarily. So the best way that I know to capture the spirit and the heart of the New Testament and giving and generosity is to simply say, the issue is not how much should I give, but how much should I keep? I, you can't get around it. Not should I tithe. We're just messed up with that word. And it's probably people like me and my fault. But 
how much of this money that I hold in trust for Jesus and I hold in trust for God can I take for my private use? See, the financial issue in the church today is not tithing. You know what it is? It's actually just lifestyle for us, me included. The question is not can I afford to tithe, but can I justify the lifestyle that consumes 90% of my income? And behind that question, right, do I love to use God's money to spread justice and mercy and spiritual hope to the world? Is that what I really love? Right? The question whether the work of Jesus, the work of Christ here at Vail Christian Church will be adequate. This is the question. Is it adequately, adequately supported? That's the question. Is it really the, you know, where's our treasure? That's the question. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart. So. Can I represent the heart of who we are through the leadership of Vail Christian Church? I don't want your possessions. I just want you. I want your heart. Now, let me keep moving just for a minute because I want to address some agricultural, I want to go back to the Old Testament. Some agricultural commands in Leviticus. That's where we get this, these laws, right? Leviticus 19.9, can I read it with you? Look at this really great scene because I think this captures actually God's heart in the Old Testament. Let me help you capture God's heart in the Old Testament. Watch this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you're not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyards bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. That's like saying, I'm your God, not all your stuff. I'm your God. You see God's heart right there? I'm your God. You know what I want you to do with your stuff? This is it. I want you to leave the edges and the corners and the gleanings and the leftover grapes. I want you to have margin in your life. That's my heart because I'm your God. You kind of think that God's all about the law He's actually not about that at all. This is God's heart. What do you mean? See, God didn't want his people reaping to the edge of their field. He wanted them to have some margin at the end of their rows, their corners, all this stuff. And before you disregard this as something not applicable to us, because none of us have fields and vineyards probably, I want you to consider why the Lord would make this command. It wasn't just about preserving his own people, you know, like an emergency fund. I think he wants us to have stuff like that. He didn't tell them to create this kind of margin because he's doing so to, you know, so they're just personally healthy and psychologically balanced. That's not it. That, that seems reasonable, but that, that's not actually it. He gave the command for the sake of other people who might wander into your field. That's why he does it. Anybody ever wander into your life? Just kind of make their way into your life somehow? It's the same principle like this. Look at this. God is so concerned about others that he built in a means into the regular life of his people in order to provide food and just things for other people. He made sure that the people didn't harvest all the way to the edges of the field. Some days the people might not come, other days they would come, but regardless, the edges of the field were there. The corners were there for when it did happen. You see, someone traveling by, someone... You know, had a need, you could share. Someone needs help 
feeding their family. Leftovers can be so useful for something other than giving you and I more, you see. You like leftovers? I don't really like them. But they're always in there, and I want to use them, and I don't, want to be, I don't want them to go to waste. We look around in our lives, and we find ourselves having very little margin. You recognize that word because that's what we're all about, right, at Vail Christian Church is making room in life to connect people to God and, and others. We, at, we are deliberately building it into our mission to make sure we have room, margin. Now, think about this. I think we find ourselves, despite our best intentions, spread thinly in all of our wealth and our money, our time and emotions. We're spread thin. All of us are. You can't deny it. We tend to reap to the edges of our fields. We use all of everything we have, all of our resources, all of our funds, all of our time, all of our energy, all of our everything. And sometimes we use more than we have. We call that debt. And as a result, we don't have anything left. We don't have time for a conversation in the middle of the day because our schedules are already too jammed. We don't have time to get to know our neighbors because our evenings are swarming with activity. We don't have any money to contribute to a mission trip or other things like that because every dollar is accounted for. We live in a marginless world and everything from our time, our wealth, our money, it's pretty much spoken for. We're reaping to the end and the edges and the complete corners of our fields. In fact, we're going back over our fields, I think, the fields of our lives a second and a third time, looking for spare pennies and nickels and dimes, looking for all that we can because that's how tapped out we are. This isn't how we're meant to live. This isn't the way God designed us to live, and it's not God's heart. It's certainly not how we are to live if we expect the Lord to bring opportunities in your life where you can utilize the gospel in other people's when people wander into your field so to speak and living in a marginless way at the root is a lack of faith in God and God's character so think about it from the perspective of a farmer now I know not many of you are farmers maybe none I used to love talking to my dad because my dad he was he was actually grew up on a farm Maybe you have parents or grandparents that did. What would cause a farmer to reap everything, even the edges, instead of obeying this command of margin? What would cause a farmer to do that? At some level, it all boils down to fear. It's just fear. Fear that there's not going to be enough. Fear of missing some profit. Fear that at some point in the season, the family is going to be in need and the way you combat that fear, there's only one way to do it. There's really two ways. You either hoard it and you reap to the edges or you combat it with faith. Faith to believe that God is generous. Faith to believe that God will provide, that God will give you enough. That's how you leave the edges unreaped. Faith. You can leave the edges in your lives unreaped because we are confident in the generous provision of God. So here we go. It's going to happen really fast. What's this got to do with me? Do you already know? Well, God's not after your possessions or your money. He's after your heart, first of all. That's what you got to know. You have to believe that and understand that. He doesn't need anything you have. So he's got to be asking you to give for a reason. He asks us to give for a reason and to be generous for a reason. 
I think that it's got to get beyond 10%. It's got to go well beyond that. So the church is not after money. We're after your heart too. Good and true pastors are the same way. Living in a marginless way is, at the root, a lack of faith in God's character. We should be, we must be people with margin in our lives so that we can give, so we can give. Okay, we have to work about it. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things we get out of whack and we say, well, in order to create margin, then I gotta pull back and do all the, you know, and that's wrong thinking as well. If you've messed up and whatever, you, you gotta start where you're at and begin to dig yourself out, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be giving, all right? Here you go. We gotta combat fear with faith, faith to believe that God is generous. He is. Faith to believe that God will provide, that God will give us enough. Faith is how you leave the edges unreaped. Can you catch what God's real heart is? He wants a people with all the edges unreaped. You know, you know what I recognize about this? When he gives this law, by the way, you know what you start noticing? He doesn't say, how big are the corners supposed to be? Did you catch that? He never says, hey, they need to be this. He doesn't give the math or dimensions or anything like that. Why does he do that? He wants us to be generous. He doesn't say how much of the edge. He doesn't say any of those things. That's his heart. That's his heart. Oh, man, you're so glad that you're in the second service and not the first one because it got super emotional. It was, I kind of blubbered around a little bit. I think it's because my, my personal heart is so passionate about this. We, we, must be in the culture that we live in we we must be we've got to be more generous people it's the only way the gospel will be carried into this culture that that is desperately in need of the gospel transformation of jesus that's that's who we have to be and i i'm so passionate about it it stresses me out it does it stresses me out because I, I, I want it for us so, so much. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't do it right sometimes. <laughs> I hope you can see my heart. I don't want your stuff and your things. Neither does the church. I want your heart. That's what God wants. We know that our heart's connected to this. That's, or he wouldn't say, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It helps you measure all that, doesn't it? Right? Thank you, Lord. I don't want anybody to misunderstand, so... I'm praying that in your miraculous way, God, you can pull all this together to where it really makes sense for us. Speak to us each individually. Help us to evaluate and to grow in this area. Help us to grow in this area. It's important for us to be people that are generous with big margin in our life and corners and edges that are unreaped. God, we want people to wander through our fields. We want people to show up and we want to be ready to be able to meet people's needs. And we're praying this in Jesus' name, Lord God. Amen. Have a fantastic day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us next week as Pastor Ben takes us back into the great mystery. If you have any questions or would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.bailchristian.com.